Greetings, nerdos, and welcome to episode 9 of 78 episodes, 30 good ones. I am your red shirt level quality host, Oliver Rockside. Thank you once again for tuning in. We are eight episodes in. Thank you to all who have downloaded and hopefully enjoyed our first eight episodes. So we're almost a third of the way done, people. Uh, as I said, I hope you've enjoyed. If this is your first time listening, please feel free to subscribe to the podcast. It will come to you every second Thursday. And uh, also, you can join our growing family over at 78 Episodes Pod on Twitter. Well, a returning champion again, people. Yes, he has returned. In the interim, I have had the absolute pleasure of meeting his delightful family who i'd never met before (laughs) since the last time we spoke to him he is the entertainment veteran he knows all in the entertainment industry uh he of course is uh the uh, husband of uh of uh, and father to the two people that i did meet uh very nice to meet them but he is, most importantly, he is the Pope of Pizza. He is the Monsignor of Mozzarella. <laughs> Doug Slater is with us once again. Thank you very much oh, for joining me, Doug. I feel like I should be wearing some sort of special garb. Maybe some sort of uh, outfit designed by the, uh, the, the the costume designers of of. Star Trek. There we go. You have access to these kind of things, Doug. I <laughs> so. do. I do. I, I'm going to have to. I'm going to have to mention this to the, the costume <laughs> department that I I have a title. I am you do. the Pope of Pizza. I am the Monsignor of Mozzarella. There we go. I am the Prince of Pepperoni. Yeah, there we go. And there we go. Uh, since uh, we have brought up pizza, people, uh, just as a little side note, last last time Doug was here, we had a very Interesting 12-minute chat on Windsor Pizza, which, uh, and 12 minutes is not the time needed to give it its due. I could give it hours. Yeah. But Doug, in the interim, has, uh, thinks he has conquered Windsor Pizza. I think I have. You have. Yeah. And uh, he grew up there, so he knows. Uh, the recipe is available on Doug's uh, Facebook page, and he has been kind enough to let let, uh, me tell you that uh, you can find him, Doug Slater, on Facebook, and the recipe for both the crust, the sauce, and a different sauce that apparently mm-hmm. just makes it go to the next level. Yeah, to the moon, baby, well. to the moon. That's where it takes it. It's To, it's, to the yeah. moon. Yeah, to, I don't know, put it in some sort of science fiction and contemporary context. Oh, yes. well done. And, and th- all of it is thanks to you, Oliver. Because Why? without without oh. <laughs> your kind delivery of two kilograms of Galati Uniondale mozzarella cheese, I would not have achieved my goal of making Windsor pizza. Well, that's very kind of you to say. And uh, uh, but it, when it when you when you're in the Pizza Brotherhood, these are the things that you do for other members of the Pizza Brotherhood. <laughs> pizza is as pizza does or something like that? I yes, don't know. and sisterhood. I <laughs> yes, don't want to exactly. forget. I, I yeah. don't want to be politically incorrect. Pizza, uh, pizza peoplehood. Pe- pizza peoplehood. There yes. we are. Yeah. Uh, actually, I saw... Uh, sorry, we're going off on a rant again. But um, I saw a tweet uh, today about a pizzeria in Cleveland, and I'm like, I am driving the four hours to get there. <laughs> Just for the just on the picture alone, yeah, 
Yeah, there's uh, like I said, there's a, a place in Windsor, actually out in Amherstburg called Armando's that I have yet to actually get to. And the guy there, he goes by Professor Zaw. Yeah, he, he does um, regular um, um, Instagram posts showing the amazing pizzas that he makes. And I keep saying, you know, I might just do the I might do the five hour trip. Yeah. Go down and, and get myself a slice and turn around and come back up. Well, as you know, I have gone. I have driven the three hours. I'm a little closer to, to Windsor than you are. I yeah. have driven the three hours just to go to Capri Pizza. Well, just you know what? It's worth Capri. it. It's worth it. I'll it is. You. It is. Sunday afternoon drive. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, we really should be talking about Star Trek, shouldn't we, kids? So we'll get back to that. Uh- <laughs> well, I will just add one thing. If if you do not like the Facebook, you can also reach me on Twitter at Slugor, and I'll send you the recipe from there as well so. oh that's fantastic so it's at s-l-u-g-o-r-e yeah fantastic always willing to share pizza recipes and whatever knowledge i have unless it's that chicago shit don't come at me with that garbage please <laughs> you're just you're just you're you're just giving me tomato quiche fuck off <laughs> uh, <clears throat> however i digress mm-hmm. um <clears throat> uh Yes, we are going to talk about Star Trek. We've got some, we actually, we've got an all-rounder today because we've got an episode from the first season, an episode from the second season, and an episode from the third season to talk about today. So we have kind of run the gamut here. But before we talk about the episodes, uh, lately I've been asking my guests, and Doug is a perfect one to talk about this as well because he he's in the industry. Um We've asked uh, other guests about it, and but Doug, why do you think after fifty-six years, Star Trek is still a thing? It's it's funny. I was thinking about this last night as I was listening to some of the previous episodes that you had recorded with your miraculous and fantastic guests. I hope that I can measure up to. Oh, absolutely! So I, I will not be able to speak uh, as in depth about any of the uh, Vietnam Vietnam War or World War II. So <laughs> we'll leave that to Steve. Okay. Um, but I, I think that really what it comes down to is because the, because of the nature of basically this Star Trek universe, um, you can tell an infinite number of stories, mm-hmm. and and so uh, you can just keep telling a different story that can always, especially once uh, I think next generation came around and they introduced the holodeck and things like that, they could just really make it easy for themselves to tell a story that if they wanted to do, make it a Western, they could tell mm. that if they wanted to, you know, make it a space opera, they could do that. They could, they, they could, it can be anything really. And, and the characters could be anything. And I think that, you know, besides that, it's like there's that's the content that's always available for them to make. Mm. And I think that the audience is there because we're, you know, the audience is like stories. Right. Um, I can't tell you why uh, if I, it, the weird thing to me is like based on solely on the original series, I can't see how it ever got made again. Mm-hmm. Because my personal view is that the original series is not very good at all. Right. <laughs> you know, and, uh, but I think that there's something about the way that it uh, tickled the science fiction funny bone, I guess, of, of the viewers uh, and got people thinking as to maybe we could do this better or it, it could have been really good. So let's mm. give it another try mm. and make it even better. Because I think a lot of the stories and a lot of the episodes have a lot of potential. Mm-hmm. And 
uh, they're better realized, especially once we get to next generation. Well, that's the funny thing to me is that, uh, you know, if we talk about classic series that get a reboot or a continuation, um, usually people are automatically down on it. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I just finished watching uh, Better Call Saul last night, which I love. Uh, Nobody seemed to be hesitant about making a prequel to Breaking Bad. Yeah. But for most series, everybody gets very nervous. I mean, how long has there been talk about a Columbo reboot with well, with, Mar- with Mark Ruffalo? Nobody think, nobody wants it. Well, and but I think that that's because nobody really believes. The the difference is that Star Trek did not make another Star Trek, right? They didn't they didn't say this is No. This that is, was a very smart thing. The yes. original you know, crew. This yeah. is a new crew and it's happening in the same universe. So um, much like, you know, law and order can take place, you know, can mm-hmm. take place over many, many decades now. Right. Uh, because it, it doesn't matter um, so much about who it is that's being cast at that point. It's the story that's, that's, that's really kind of mattering at that point. And so if you had say like the problem with Columbo is, is, is Columbo is the anchor and you know, Peter Falk is Columbo. Nobody right. else is. Uh, so I think that that, you know, for the same reason that Starsky and Hutch was a problem when it came to the theaters and, you know, it's just not the same. Um, it's funny you bring up Starsky and Hutch. Well, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> one of them appears in the in one of our episodes. Yeah, they do. Very badly, I might add. Yes. <laughs> anyway, well, thank you. I mean, that, it's just very interesting. I just find that there was never any resistance against the next generation. It was like people were looking forward to it. Uh, yeah. Whereas sometimes when people do this with series, I mean, as I pointed out about Better Call Saul, it, 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 there's few and far between that people are really looking forward to when someone does that. But I think with Star Trek, it kind of like, I mean, I love Perfect Strangers, but nobody's demanding a Perfect Strangers reboot. No yeah. one's demanding that we get, you know, 40 years later in the retirement home with, with Perfect Strangers. But I think if you think of, like, say, Three's Company, and then the offshoot of that, you know, the Ropers. Yeah. That, it again, it's 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 about different people, but in the same universe, right? So it, yeah. beca- it becomes a little easier to take it at that point. It's when you have a beloved character that you are trying to reimagine, I think that that's when it becomes difficult. Right. Um, and, and I'm, I'm trying to think of any sort of, uh, redo thing that they've done, I guess, uh, beyond, um, like say, what's his name? Young, um, Oh, young Sheldon, young Sheldon, you know, that that was successful. It is a character, but it's sort of like, He's not the same character because he's the young version of himself. So maybe I've never I've never watched an episode of yeah, it. So, yeah, I, I, yeah. Oh, that's the only thing I can that comes to mind. I don't think I've seen that episode either. Yeah, no, it's funny because I was, I was. It's funny your take on on science fiction because I was reading an article, an essay about why musicals don't work in movies. Mm. Um, in the of course they were talking about Cats, and uh, you know they had they had said that even though it won an Academy Award, Les Miserables sucked the big one. Mm-hmm. Um, they've tried uh, Phantom of the Opera, uh, the movie. Uh, there was one other one they were talking about. And now, of course, musicals were great back in the 50s and 60s, Sound of Music, Mary Poppins, blah, 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 blah. But their, their uh, thing was is that because 
something is on the Broadway stage, that includes stagecraft, which of course you don't, you can't have in a movie. You know, you you have actual sets instead of people yeah. pantomiming them. Uh, in movies, you have close-ups with, with micro expressions, which you can't have in in a in a, a play on the stage. Uh, and they were saying that animation works better for these movies, for these musicals, because you're they're already asking you to suspend your disbelief by watching a cartoon. So you get into the musical aspects of it, just like on a Broadway show, you have to imagine a lot because they can't put everything on stage. I, I Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, but I, I think there are exceptions to that. I mean, obviously, um, like I think Greatest Showman was mm. really well done. Right. Uh, I think it, it lent itself, you know, perfectly for the screen. Uh, you know, any of the Baz, uh, what's his name? Baz Lerman. Baz Lerman. They brought that up. That because- um, Those tend to work if you're right. really into it. You know, like I find myself even with like the Moulin Rouge, as much as I don't enjoy that movie, mm-hmm. I find that the musical numbers in that, they, they tend to work because it, it does offer, uh, there's something about the way that he presents them that allows you to sort of, um, I guess, uh, give into it and, mm-hmm. and and to give over to it much like science fiction is i suppose in a way where yes some some people just will not release their doubt or their um disbelief um you know they won't suspend their disbelief uh, and, and you know think that there could be aliens and so they can't get into it uh which i think that i, I would i'd be curious to see who like where the the venn diagram of people that enjoy musicals and the people that enjoy science fiction do they overlap you know and, and and how how much because you are having to basically kind of suspend that disbelief you know um pretty pretty strongly especially in in both of them like why are these people singing why are they why are they why are they in outer space why are there aliens and all that so yeah and i think that was the writer's point about this was that if you put it in animation form and science fiction form is basically the same is that you yeah. have to suspend your disbelief going in. So anything that's presented after that is kind of in the realm of belief. Yeah. Well, it's an easier buy-in. It's an easier buy-in. That's a better way yeah. to put it. Yeah. yeah. So that's very interesting. What you, <laughs> what you bring up about the suspension of disbelief and, and, and letting everything be able to be accessed in, in, uh, in science fiction, but we must carb load now people. And uh, we are going to carb load with a second season episode, which is really a third season episode. <laughs> I made the I made the proclamation. That was this was my spicy hot take at the beginning of the series that the the third season has better episodes than you remember, and the second season has worse episodes than you mm. remember. And this is a this is it's not Spock, Spock's brains stinker. But it's getting close, and yep. it's the second season episode called "The Apple." <laughs> and my God, Doug, this is a red shirt bloodbath. Oh, uh, it it's yeah. It's By my count, four red shirts buy it in this episode. Yeah, at least, <laughs> and you know, let like also. Um, the reason why let's I'm going to go back to like behind the curtains here when you sent me the the list of right. possible episodes to choose for this or possible trios 
I went and I kind of just did a quick little internet search as to, you know, what each episode was. And one of the results that came up for the Apple was the still of one of the aliens on this planet. And it's so terrible (laughs) that I was like, I need to see this. I need to know what this is all about. (laughs) This is, and believe me, all three of these episodes that we're going to talk about, it's like prime directive, shine directive. It's like nobody cares about the prime directive in this. Yeah. And all of our three episodes are controlled by computers gone haywire. Yep. Uh, the Apple, uh, <laughs> oh God, where do we, first of all, the look of this one, you know, at, to begin with, uh, uh, Doug, you look at it and, and it has this sheen, this patina of third season cheapness. Cause we're going to talk about spray painted rocks. I'm sure at one point, <laughs> um, but then I thought, my God, they must've put every plastic f- plant that they had in inventory they in this blew set. the budget on the greens yeah sorry they blew the budget on the greens for this it was um uh, it was crazy when yeah. you think about it yeah i think we should probably for anybody who hasn't seen the episode the basic idea is that they they get what is it they they beam down to the planet for some reason yes it was thank you doug i'll get me back on course yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The Enterprise uh, uh, gets a report from a scout ship that goes by this planet. The planet is called Gamma Trianguli 6. And there's some funny readings, so they get the Enterprise to go and check it out. They beam down, and they beam down into this absolute paradise uh, with two red shirts, um, uh, a yeoman, uh, and Chekhov. And Chekhov is trying to get his freak on with this yeoman during this whole episode. We'll get to it. Yeah. Uh, so, um, Spock, McCoy, check off Yeoman, red shirts, uh, get down. It all looks perfect until one of the red shirts buys it by this flower that throws out darts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If, yeah. It's, if, if it was in, uh, the Mandalorian, it would be the whistling birds that come out of his, his sleeve, but these just come out of the center of a flower. Yeah. And, uh, that's one red shirt down. Yep. Um, now, nobody seems to really care. No, nobody gives a damn. <laughs> In fact, Chekhov, who is, I, I swear, his only reason for being on this show is so that he can continually violate our HR rules. <laughs> yes. <laughs> because he starts, like, basically hitting on on uh, the yeoman. Yeah. Like, he's still horny after watching a crewmate die. He doesn't seem to care. I know. Any, any reason to get, get his Mac on, you know? I know. <laughs> what? <laughs> I don't know if it's a comment on sort of like the heartlessness of of Russians at that point. I don't. I don't know. No, I don't think. They, no, I think. I think we're. I think we're six episodes into in, into Chekhov's debut. I think they wanted to establish the character, oh, and man. you know he's a he's a twenty year old pig. So mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anyway, uh, they discover on this planet has an artificial energy source underneath it. And uh, it's con- controlling the weather. Apparently, it's controlling the dark flowers. Um, so they find they discover a village. Now, for us to get to the village, two other red shirts have to die. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Spock has to get darted in a, in the heart. 
And Spock gets injured three times in this episode and walks it off. Walks it off. Every single time. He's a Vulcan. He's fine. Uh, It's like McCoy gives him an Advil and a Band-Aid and he's fine. He gets hit by lightning, for Christ's sake. Well, here's what I find very interesting, too, is that the first guy, what was it, Hart Null or whatever his name was, the red shirt, first red shirt to die, gets, gets, you know, the, the darts into the chest. You know, McCoy goes to him and says, he's dead, Jim. And then, you know, everybody else dies. Nobody cares. Spock gets shot in the chest with these things. And McCoy is there immediately injecting him with like every single (laughs) thing. It's like this is the medicine that's saved for the important people. Yes. And, And only when Spock gets hurt does anybody give a shit. Yeah, and 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 the thing is, is Spock gets gets these darts right in the chest, gets a shot, and like ten seconds later, he's back up, no probs. I'm fine. I'm fine. <laughs> anyway, we get we get through all of this, uh, and they finally discover this uh, village of maybe. Well, first, they find out they're being followed. Yes, yes. One of the one of the village's inhabitants is actually the representative of. We'll get to it. They got come across this village with maybe thirty people, um, and they have no children. Mm. This is a key point mm-hmm. uh, because the head guy Akuta um, has uh, the, the, and I think this is the picture that, <laughs> that Doug is referring to has antennae. Yeah. Uh, that seems to be made out of soldering. Yeah, I'm not wire. Sure. It was like it was like an approximation of uh, like psilocybin mushrooms, kind of made out of tinfoil, yeah. stuck to the t- stuck to his neck. Yes, uh, and they discover that uh, this particular village is in charge of Vol V A A L, and Vol is the controller of this whole planet. And is presented as a god that needs to be worshipped, and uh, and fed. Uh, what they're feeding him to give him energy is a bit oh. of a mystery. It seems well, like it seems like Vol is their composting pile. I <laughs> think I think what they are giving him is the rocks. Is the rocks? Yeah. Of which um, earlier in the episode. Uh, a red shirt is exploded by stepping on one, I believe. Yes. And, and this is where we get the spray painted rocks. And it also, uh, at which point, um, I guess it was, was it before that or after that, that uh, Spock picks one up and actually snaps it in half before it was before. So he picks yeah. one up, snaps it in half and then tosses it and it explodes. So it explodes when it hits the ground, but not when Spock snaps it in half. So no, and it's so styrofoamy. <laughs> oh, it's awful. The, it's sound, awful. the sound of him breaking it is like, so <laughs> I've just been to Michael's. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I'm siding my house. Yes. <laughs> oh man. Uh, so the, the upshot of this whole episode really is that, uh, they know nothing of sex, which is where we get to Chekhov and the yeoman macking out and being spied on by a woman from the village and Hutch. No Starsky, just Hutch. <laughs> yes, David Soul, don't give up on his baby, is 
is one of the villagers and he's the one who's watching this. So they start to learn about the pleasures of uh, sexual Congress uh, by watching Chekhov and the Yeoman. This, of course, is verboten. They know nothing about this. There's no children because Vol provides. How, he says that he provides replacements. How he provides replacements is never explained. Well, I think they said they have no need for replacements. But as somebody pointed out, what if someone walks off something and has an accident? Well, you would just, yeah. I mean, you would that that brings up that question. But I don't yeah. think that I think that when in the show they actually say there is no need for replacements. We live forever. Yes, uh, McCoy cannot get a handle on how old they yeah. are. Yeah. Uh, so uh, it's actually, it's McCoy weird. who's the one. Who is the who puts up the objection to these people that they must kill Vol to get these people back on an evolutionary plane? <laughs> and uh, actually, this time it's Kirk and Spock who are kind of like, no, no, we're all prime directive now. And uh, finally, uh, Kirk changes his mind and sides with McCoy. And so, along with Vol draining. This is one of the two times we're going to hear about computers draining things. Um, uh, Vol is draining the Enterprise, so that is creating the, the kind of the um, urgency of killing Vol in our in, in our B story. Yeah, I think it kind of gives Kirk the 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 go ahead to ignore the never interfere um, directive. You know. Yes, uh, and it allows him to say, unless it's you know celibate natives running around in loinskins worshiping a paper mache dinosaur head. So, right, you know, it's just it's. Oh, yes, boy. we haven't spoken about Vol yet. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Vol, Vol is one big paper mache head. <laughs> oh, it and it's like. I mean, they usually, when they go from, you know, they land on a planet and it's supposed to be rocky and outcrops and stuff like that. You can, you can see some of the paper macheness of this, of the rock faces that they've had. Mm -hmm. And, and I can buy it for most of the scenery where they say, it's okay. It's just going to be background. Nobody's going to notice it. Right. But when it comes to this snakehead that they have made, out of what is clearly paper mache. Right. <laughs> um, it is just like, I, I don't like to crap on somebody else's creative stuff too much, but I have to unload on this one because it was just like, who allowed that to happen? Like, it, it's awful. Yeah. I, and I can't imagine it being from something else that they brought over from the studio that must have been created for the yeah. show. Yeah, I, I think that their scenics were drunk that week. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> I'll tell you what really throws me about Vol is the eyes. The yeah. The eyes are so bad. Well, I, I, I couldn't tell. I, were they supposed to glow? Is that well, what there was the like thing. A, there was like a close-up at one point where it looked like maybe they had kind of zoomed in on it and like they were either telling us that the, the eyes were glowing or not glowing, but they were they were also just bad paper mache. <laughs> It was the, the eyes. It was like someone took construction paper. The paint it, job it was like terrible. A, it looked like a kindergarten class. Like I expected someone who's on the on on the staff to have those little scissors that don't have any point on them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. these eyes, safety scissors. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
so that's a mess in all of this. Anyway, uh, (laughs) this is how they solve the problem, which could have been solved 49 minutes earlier. (laughs) Is they just get Scotty to phaser the fuck out of it. (laughs) And that wasn't your first thought. (laughs) Yeah. It's, I, I, you know, I guess, you know, the, to be fair, they do say that, you know, the they have to wait for the power to drain because they hold they hold the the villagers back for what 10 minutes so yeah. that they they get hungry. But um yeah, I have written down this is awful episode plus plus. This is <laughs> you know, uh there's so many things in this that just like this my first the the, the overall thing that I have about this episode is is this planet really better off now that the Federation has visited it? No. And is is the Federation better off to have visited them? Because, spoiler alert, at the end, they kind of, you know, they get out and like then now uh, the Federation has to take care of the, the people on this planet, teach them how to be free. Well, the other thing is, is that, you know, just from a, just from a really simple point that's brought up and forgotten... Mm-hmm. Is that what is mentioned? Is that this planet, almost to its poles, has an average temperature of seventy-four degrees Fahrenheit? Yeah, it's brain. If candy. you take if you take Vol out of the equation, you now get polar ice caps on the poles. Yep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> How is yeah. that good for the planet? Uh, it's the at this. I mean, this is I don't know. This is probably some sort of you know commentary on. I imagine like. Uh, communism and religion and oh no, uh, we're getting to that hippie hippie sex cults. Are, although this would be the opposite of a, a hippie sex cult because they're not actually having sex. But no, you know it. It's it's just this weird. They start to they start to sort of touch on the idea of the prime directive again, uh, but they never they never really delve into it that much. Where like you know the next generation is all about the prime directive. Yes. And, and this is, it's just sort of, um, it's more of a nuisance for Kirk and, and how he can get away with, with just screwing these people up. Mm-hmm. Um, well, we should point out that <laughs> it may not be a sex hippie cult. I just realized it may be Jesus camp. <laughs> I don't yeah, know. It could be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, we should mention because we always like to put out the good points. A uh, number of the yeoman who who's being sexually harassed by Chekhov yeah. is kick-ass. There oh, yeah. is a scene where uh, Vol teaches the villagers to kill, and apparently, um, in this particular village, sporks grow on trees. Yeah. Uh, so they're <laughs> being bashed in the head by these huge sporks, and uh, and the yeoman is kicking ass much more than Chekhov is. Oh yeah, in the yeah, fight she's, scene. she's the only one that seems to be fighting with any real. She's like, the only one who ability. seems to be competent. Yes, yeah, like, like you know, Kirk is doing his usual two-handed choppy chop. Uh, yeah. you know, stage fighting, and everybody else is kind of just pretending to fight. Whereas she seems to actually be competent and 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 you know doing the job yeah and we also should mention second season so kirk is rocking the wraparound oh god yeah um and i will say this this script was awful but the last few lines of it are quite good in the fact that of course it's brought up that they basically have introduced the apple into this paradise hence the name of this of the of the show and they make this joke about who looks like Satan. 
Yeah. And of course, Spock. Yeah, and, so they automatically go into racism. <laughs> they go in, they go, but Spock, what makes it glorious is Spock just completely no sells it. Yeah. Yeah. That's the that's the, the part that I really enjoy. Uh the Apple major pass, people. Yeah. I, I I'll put it to you this way. I couldn't even watch it a second time at work today. <laughs> I would have rather worked. And I did. So uh it was it was that I yeah. Pass. Yeah. yeah. It, except for to see like the bad orange spray body paint and right. um like painting face painting that was done by a child on the natives um just look at some stills from the show and just skip you'll get the picture yeah yeah well that was our first carb our second carb and we doug and i may have an argument about this one now i am going to say some positive things about this episode even though i am considering it a carb uh it comes from the third season and um it does have some good qualities to it. Uh, the first one is the fact that this is the best title of yes. any episode yes. of the original also, series. Also the longest title of the series. Also the longest title. We are going to talk about For the World is Hollow and I Have Touched the Sky. And I uh, love the poetry of this. The, like The poetry of that title yeah. is is magical. And it the problem is that it really sets you up for... A really good episode, uh, but unfortunately, this episode ends up feeling a bit hollow. Yeah, so to well speak, done. Yes, as well. So. <laughs> uh, this is the beginning of the episode. is is really kind of tells me everything I need to know about the episode um, because there's a lot of loose ends in this episode. And it begins with these missiles coming at, at the Enterprise. And uh, they are quickly dismissed, but they are never mentioned why they are fired at the Enterprise to begin with. What the purpose mm-hmm. of them were, but they follow the trail from where the missiles came from, which I think is the only reason that they're in there. And they come to an asteroid. And the uh, Enterprise um, sensors say that there's no people. It can't register any people. But they can register that it's hollow. Yeah. So, so they beam down to check it out. And it looks like your regular Star Trek soundstage planet, except for these four cylinders. Once um, again with the paper mache. Yes. <laughs> what, they didn't move up the plastic for the cylinders, Doug? Is that what you're telling me? Well, I think the cylinders actually, they were cardboard. But Okay, cardboard. They actually, I kind of enjoyed those. I was yes, like, I thought it was a great idea. These look cool, actually. Yeah. And the, the, there's one in the background that make, that they've actually just, they've just made it smaller. Yeah. To make it look like it's further back. But it actually, it kind of works. It doesn't take me out of the episode yet. No. Which, which is pretty good for, for Star Trek. So they they beam down. Now we should also tell you a very important fact, which is, which when you think about it, is not required in this episode whatsoever. Yeah, yeah. Is before they beam down, uh, everybody on the Enterprise gets their annual physical, and yet they find out that one person has a uh, deadly disease of which they will die of in a year because in the twenty fourth century they have not found a cure for it. Twenty uh, third century, sorry have not found a cure for it. 
Uh, and that malady is with McCoy. So McCoy has a year to live. Now, as we go along, you will realize that this whole B story is not required whatsoever to, in this episode. It is. I mean, it, well, I mean, it does serve a purpose, but I think they could have found another. Do you think it serves a purpose? Well, it later on in the story, it gives a reason for an action that takes place, um, which then allows the conclusion of the story to happen. Um, but they could have gotten around this. I, I think that they they wrote this story and they, they were like, well, now how do we deal with this problem? And so they sort of reverse engineered it and said, okay, well, I know we need to make somebody sick who's going to, who's inevitably going to die. Well, like, we'll this is the we'll, only thing I can think. Well, we'll get to that argument. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, I think it's completely superfluous to the Well, it the seems episode. like it to me. Yeah. It yeah. seems very ar- arbitrary. So they beam down and we're, we're, we're presented with these cylinders. All of a sudden these cylinders open and all these people, uh, and Doug, when I first saw it, when I, when I was reminded of the henchmen again, I thought, poor, poor Doug, this is the second episode he's on with people with weird hair, headgear. Why? Why? <laughs> it's like they're wearing socks on their head, but you put a coaster inside the sock. It- it's the weirdest headgear and the and the the the, the tartan pill like a uh, oversized pillowcase that they've punched four holes in to wear with like a belt around the middle. It's I know. Just, <laughs> it's it's weird. It's just weird. Anyway, all of these weird headgear guys jump out and capture um, uh, McCoy, Spock, and uh, and Kirk, and then this woman comes out. Uh, her name is Natira. She comes out, takes one look at McCoy and decides he's a total smoke show. Uh, So for once, we have a McCoy romance story. Um, And and let's not forget that there's that very, very weird moment during this fight that's happening where McCoy basically stands up and he looks like he's about to attack her. And for some reason, they do a close up on him and he's got both of his hands up, either like he's surrendering or he's kind of doing like a little kitty cat pose yeah <laughs> and he's got this stupid look on his face he's like, huh? and you know what's going through his head is like, hubba hubba hubba, right, hubba, right. hubba and then all of a sudden he gets uh, he gets cold cocked by by one of the security guys it uh her outfit though incredible well that's the thing is is that they were still obviously still following the um the uh i dream of genie rule because yeah. She's basically naked from the top, from waist up, except for her belly button. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that has to be covered. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. It's funny you should mention I Dream of Genie because while I was watching this on the weekend, my wife came home and she saw me watching it. She goes, are you watching I Dream of Genie? <laughs> <laughs> now, we should also mention that unlike um, uh, Kirk's Conquest, uh, these two, Natira and McCoy, are very age-appropriate. Um, yeah. And matter of fact, the actual um, actress, and we do have to talk about this, Doug, um, is Kate Woodville. And she was married to Patrick McNee at, when she did this episode. Um, so there's a, little, there's a little bit more age appropriateness here. Um, but what is going on with her accent? Her accent, she's of English uh, origin, 
but her accent is all over the place during this yeah. episode. It's like she starts she starts off being Norwegian and then she goes to England for about 15 minutes and then she starts being Dutch or German. Well, and she even does she even does at one point she refers to McCoy and she kind of says McCoy kind of yes. like the way that um what's her face did in um uh, Friday's Child. Friday's yeah. Child. Yeah, it's just like, what, 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 like, what's the deal when women fall in love with McCoy that he becomes McCoy? <laughs> I know he becomes Scottish. Who yeah. Knew? yeah. <laughs> um. So uh, they're get they're now uh uh the actual inhabitants of this so called planet which they name Unata. Um. The reason, by the way, the reason that uh, Enterprise couldn't see any people down there is because they all live underground. Which I find uh, weird, but okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess it takes away the whole concept of basement apartment. Um, yeah. Yeah. So uh, they are. Uh, it is discovered that, uh, of course, the Enterprise knows one thing: that this particular asteroid is going to um, hit a planet that has three billion people on it. That therefore, that is their mission to go down and reroute it. Yeah. Not expecting people to be there, but when people are there, they have to figure out a different way and to find out what's going on. And so they are presented with the Oracle, the second of our two of our three computers that goes awry <laughs> in uh, in our little chat tonight. Um, and uh, this is not a paper mache <laughs> uh, snakehead, mainly because the budget didn't allow it. This is just a blinking light. <laughs> no, it's not even blinking. No, it's it, not even blinking. It turns on. No. And yeah. then it turns off. Yeah, they didn't have the budget for electricity, apparently. <laughs> With a terrible, terrible, vi- I don't even know if it's vinyl, like some sort of nasty star sticker around it. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, and of course, you know, because it's, and this is something we're going to talk about in the next episode. I'll bring it up now. Star Trek looks so much better when they go outside. Mm-hmm. And both of our two episodes are soundstage. Mm-hmm crazy and it just looks dank and it looks dark now granted this is there it's supposed to look that way in this particular episode because they all live underground but even still it just when we talk about the next episode we'll talk about the difference um so uh mccoy and and natira are all googie eyes all over each other and because he's only got a year to live he's going to stay uh and live out the rest of his life with uh natira now, granted, they've only known each other for five minutes, but apparently, you know, stars and rockets are going off. Yeah, so uh, we should mention that it's revealed that the whole of the the people on the ship are controlled by a all-knowing computer who will zap you if you do wrong. Yes, and they um, also do not know that they are in an asteroid. Exactly which is where we get a visit from an old man who gives us the line uh, of the the title in the Mm -hmm. fact that he has actually climbed the mountains and he has touched the sky. He knows that they are not on a real planet and is promptly killed for it. Yeah. As soon as he says the great line for the world is hollow and I have touched the sky. Yeah. He then promptly dies. Yes. (laughs) He's history. Yep. Uh, but Natira treats him very nicely. Yep. Um, like there's, there's sometimes where the Oracle seems to be very benevolent, um, mm-hmm. 
he's not he's this computer is not nutso uh as the way of the two that were that we one that we've talked about and one we're about to um so uh so basically uh spock and and kirk and mccoy can't really tell the residents that they're on a on, they're on a ship uh, they just want to keep the status quo as they figure out what's wrong with the Oracle uh, as they go along. This is where the B story kind of comes into it, where, um, and this is really my major problem, is that if McCoy and Natira really have rockets going off every time they look at each other, yeah. there's no need for the I've only got a year to live because he's going to stay anyway. Well, this, but the thing, okay, there's, I mean, obviously there's uh, several problems with this. Is that, you know, the the love affair is like, it's so fast. So very yes. rapid. Yes. Um, first, he says that they barely know each other. And then he's, then he's like, and then she says some bull crap. And he's like, yeah, okay, well, I'm in. You know, like he... I think that had he not been sick, maybe he wouldn't have said, okay, I'll stick around or I'll do it. Like maybe he wouldn't be as willing to fall in love because you know what? He's just found out that day, more or less, that he's going to die. And he's suddenly on a strange yet idyllic type planet, I guess, where people seem to be happy. And he's got this hot babe telling him that he loves her. And I mean, she did say some really, really nice words to him. Yes, she did. <laughs> so I can yes. kind of see why um, he can fall and he he could sort of fall for this and say, okay, you know what? Do I want to spend my time on board with like Spock and Kirk or do I want to spend my time here with this lovely lady? Um, I can kind of see that happening. Um, it's a little bit easier, but I think that in terms of the rest of the story, he does need to be sick, uh, for him to actually, um, stay there. To, to okay. Yeah. I, uh, right. See, like it gives, it gives him the impetus to stay there because he is sick. He is going to die anyway. Well, the thing is, is that he admits during this whole conversation, this episode is very wordy people. There's yes. not a lot of action. Yeah. Um, is that. His main impetus for staying is he's lonely. Yeah. Um, which and he doesn't want to die alone. Okay, if you put it that way. Okay, yeah. interesting. Anyway, um, we'll have to. We'll have to. I'll have to think about that one more. Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, so um, things things are getting a little bit more urgent, and uh, and so Spock and Kirk decide to kind of violate the uh the oracle's chamber so to speak uh they discover that they are descendants from an ancient world uh and this was the ancient civilization's survival mechanism uh their son had gone nova about a hundred thousand years ago so they put on they th th this this asteroid the ship is basically an ark yeah um and uh so uh so they try and I think it, they try to to destroy the Oracle to begin with because they think the Oracle and these little implants um, that uh, that are in, in all of the inhabitants 
they, they think that the Oracle has some level of malevolence. I think that's their original idea of trying to shut it down. But I think that they, when they realize that this is basically an ARC ship, that they want to get inside uh, to see what's happened to the guidance system. Yeah, I think that their big problem is, again, this idea of free will and being free and spreading the American way, you know, that is basically Kirk's thing. You know, right. um, these had these people been placed on the Ark and told, or had they known that they were on the Ark, um, then I think they would have allowed this to continue to happen. But I think the big problem that they have is that these people are being lied to. And so they essentially are being controlled because of that lie and they want to kind of turn off whatever it is that is keeping the lie alive. Right. I understand. Yeah. Unveil, unveil the, you know, the wizard behind the curtain. Right. Well, they do find the wizard behind the curtain. Of course, it's a computer gone awry. Yes. (laughs) Uh, They fix the, uh, the guidance system. So we're all back to normal now. Yep. And then Spock, and this to me is what ruins the episode, is that Spock finds the medical library and voila, these people who lived 100,000 years ago actually have a cure, of course, for the disease that McCoy has. Yeah. So he's all cured. And, they, and believe me when I tell you that that's about how much time, the time that I've taken to explain this to you is how much time they took in the episode to explain oh, it yeah. to us. Yeah. And, it, and, and like uh, immediately Bones turns around and goes back to the ship. Yeah. And they cure him. And he's like, okay, marriage done. Because let's also remember that we haven't mentioned it, but they get married. Yes. Bones gets married. Yes. I don't know if he's going to tell her about his child from um, Friday's child. No, <laughs> you know, uh, no. you know, like, but like they get married and all of a sudden he's like, okay, that's yeah. fine. I'm, I'll go back and, and like, there, I don't even think he tells her that he's cured. <laughs> you know, like we, like, we never see it. No. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's really rapid. Yeah. You know, he just goes McCoy out and, uh, yeah. and it's yeah. like, Okay. Love the I name. Really, love the title. Yeah. Love the idea of the episode. Uh, but between coaster hats, sicknesses that don't really need to be there, uh, this is just, it, it's, it's just below the line. I wanted to like this episode. Right. I really did. Because I think that like I love the idea of this episode. I love the idea of the, you know the space arc. There's been so many, you know, uh, science fiction, let alone you know biblical stories about the escape and the you know the journey to a better place and the arc and all that. Um, one of my favorite Neil Stevenson novels of the last little wild called Seven Eves is mm. a, one of these arc episode arc stories where, you know, people of Earth have to escape on an arc. And there's so much potential to explore in that story. Unfortunately, they they ignore much of the potential of this story and really mess it up. And I think it's the problem is that they, they, they feel that they have to tie this up into a tidy bow 
in 50 minutes. Yes. This cannot be more than one episode. And so they ver- therefore they can't go very deep into what any of this means. And I, I think that this, this is a problem in the whole series mm-hmm. is that they every episode is a sketch. Right. It's it, they 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 could even really you could really even say they can be very much self self contained. It's almost anthology like. Right. Uh, there's, I you know there is story and. Uh, I guess some lore that's created, you know, on the relationship between the characters and that's built. But really a lot of these, you could just basically just pluck it out and watch anyone and not have to know anything about anything else. Yes. They're, they're really not serialized at all. And I, I saw a quote on Wikipedia and I thought it was very fitting. And it says, this episode is typical of the third season, long on talk, light on action, adequate, yet hardly spectac- spectacular in execution. I, I think that's a wonderful way to, to sum up this episode. Yeah. I, I think that that's, that's really, uh, I'm going to, I'm, I'm not going to recommend it, but I'm going to say if it comes on without you knowing it, watch the watch all the way through. Yeah. You know this I, mean? has, I just rated this a bad episode. Yeah. Um, but of of the three that we watched, I think it was probably in terms of my first viewing of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was it was okay. More more so just because it made me think a little bit more than mm-hmm. especially the apple. The apple did not make me think at all. <laughs> no. So I, I think for that, this at least gets me well engaged with it a little bit. The apple made you think of paper mache duck. Well, that's true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And speaking of, now we get to the protein episode, and uh, this comes along, and I know that we're running a bit long today, but what the hell? Screw it. Um, this brings up a story, actually a, a, a next generation story uh, to me, because I remember watching a TNG episode, which is beloved by the fandom, called The Inner Light. And I watched it and I thought, this is absolute effing garbage. (laughs) I hated the inner light. Mm -hmm. But then I, you know, through reruns and everything like that, I've saw it a couple more times and it started to grow on me. And I'm wondering, why is this growing on me? And then I realized why I hated it on initial watching is the fact that of all people, Patrick Stewart's kid who's who's in the inner light is an absolutely atrocious actor Mm. and that was distracting me uh from the concept of picard living a full 90 year life in the space of 45 minutes yeah um and the more i watched it the more i got it that i understood that now if i took daniel stewart out of it i realized how good it was this is the same reaction that i had with our protein episode. Uh, I watched this. I remember the first time I watched it and granted I was a teen, you know, 10, 11 when I first watched, it, but I hated this. But then as I became an adult, I realized that this episode was really Roddenberry, who was a famous atheist. This was his commentary on religion. And this episode is from the first season, and it is called Return of the Archons. Now, I I know that you think this is a bit of a mess, Doug, but 
I love this episode because Roddenberry, very clear in his disdain for religion, makes that very clear in this episode, but hides it. And I just find it fascinating that how he made his views known without getting in trouble with 60 censors. Yeah, I... I have this written down as an awful episode. <laughs> oh, really? I do. Um, and uh, I mean, it's the first episode where we see the prime directive. This is where it's first right. mentioned ever. Uh, very passing. Uh, in fact, it's actually mentioned in terms of the Starfleet prime directive, as well as the prime directive of the spoiler computer that's in charge mm-hmm. of this planet they beam down to, which I guess we should get into the what yeah. the story is soon. But um, there, there's a lot in this that I, th- I think that this one has, a, again, a really good idea behind it. Mm-hmm. And the commentary, once you really tease it out, you can kind of see what Roddenberry's talking about or the, the writers are talking about in this. But there are so many problems with this episode, which I will... Oh, I look forward to it. (laughs) That that just it just it I found that it it brought me out. Now, the the set design on this episode is great uh, for the most part, uh, which is to to say all the parts that are not uh, directly related to being a Star Trek set. The the back lot of the Mayberry set that they shoot they shoot on that's fantastic. (laughs) Yeah, and this is the this is the thing is that if you watch two episodes that are basically bottle episodes and then you watch one that's done on the back a lot the difference is just so evident yeah um and this of course was i'd say half of it was done on the back lot yeah um basically what happens to begin with is uh that uh the enterprise is searching for a um uh, a ship that was lost a hundred years ago i'm like (laughs) why bother um (laughs) But uh, they come across this planet where this uh, ship, which was called the Archon, uh, was last heard of. And they basically beam down into, you know, the town that Footloose was set in. Um, Everybody is very staid. Everybody is very Um, automaton-like. And... It's all very confusing because what happens is is the reconnaissance party includes Sulu before Kirk and Spock and McCoy beam down, and he comes back and he's one of these automatons, so that's why they beam down. Um, now, this was the part of the episode that I don't think was done very well um, in the fact that they beam down just before the quote-unquote festival or the red hour begins. I have never seen the movie The Purge. I am guessing that that is what this is, that they get 12 hours to go crazy. But does this happen daily? Does this happen monthly? This was my question. Is it like, what purpose does this festival serve? And what, and like, why is it law to attend? Is it because it's population control? Is it release of bottled feelings? Is it for ratings? Does this happen every day? And if so, they must spend every day cleaning up and making new chairs to be tossed about because that's really what this festival seems to be about. Yeah, they don't. Is, they never explain it. Is is throwing chairs and getting all rapey? 
Yes. Um, anyway, the festival passes, and of course, everybody reverts back to this automaton state. Now, where um, we have a particularly large landing crew this time, I won't mm-hmm. go into all the names, so we're just going to concentrate on McCoy, Spock, and and uh, and Kirk. Yeah, um, the big three are there. Sorry, the big three are there. Yeah. So uh, they take refuge during this festival because they don't know what the hell's going on in uh, basically what appears to be a rooming house. Uh, every, this seems to be set in like 1890, I would say. It's very little else on the prairie, uh, costume-wise. Um, and uh, uh, um, I've just realized that there were no women in this episode, were there? Oh, yeah. Well, not in terms of um, any. Well, in the in the festival scene, yes. Yeah, but, they're there but that's simply it. to be victims. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Ooh. Um, okay. Yeah. So, um, so they uh, they stay at this rooming house and are basically outed by uh, one of the residents because they're not automatons, and they're all of a sudden, the these, yeah, these are part of the body, as they yeah. say. And these two guys in cloaks show up. Um, <laughs> and what I find really interesting is that they, what appears to have, they have weapons with them that look like, that look like staffs. Mm-hmm. Spock discovers that these are empty. Yeah, they're basically big, empty cookie wafer rolls. Right. So this is Roddenberry's first thing about all of this is mind over matter. That there's nothing real in any of this. Uh, so they discover that Landru, a character named Landru, uh, is basically uh, the kind of god figure that is worshipped by these people because Landru is everywhere all the time. So he can hear you. He can hear your thoughts. He can see your movements. Stop me when you've heard something unfamiliar. And he's here right now. Yes. And the other thing is, and this was a little bit on the nose, but uh, the characters say that Landru came 6,000 years ago. Again, mm-hmm. stop me if you've heard this one before. <laughs> um, so basically, this is a race. And of course, Landru is affecting the ship. So this is our second instance of, you know, the ship is in danger is the B story. Uh, So the mission that Kirk has to do is to find any remnants of the Archons, which from 100 years ago, I don't know why they would. um, And to figure out what is going on in the society, which is also stagnant, which they are very, very um, happy to point out during the episode. Uh, because nobody, everybody is just living as an automaton outside of this festival, which is why perhaps they should have explained the whole concept behind the festival to us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, so basically, uh, this is a race against uh, Spock, uh, Kirk, and McCoy being captured and these uh and landrew who is seeing everything and knowing everything and who apparently is also again shooting heat rays or something like that at the ship yes and making it yes. descend go boom yes go boom yes uh 
so finally they are captured, but funnily enough, friendly, they are captured by friendly people in the fact that this was another great shot of, uh, of, of Roddenberry taking it religion in that two of the people who are helping them are residents of the planet, but are, quote, immune, unquote, <laughs> to the conversion process. Uh, well done, Gene. Kudos. Um, and they help uh, Kirk and Spock and McCoy. Now, McCoy is turned. McCoy is converted and becomes one of these automatons. And, uh, and so they have to worry about McCoy narking on them to Landrew. Uh, so finally, uh, they get in to see a Landrew. And, of course, Landrew is a projection. Landrew is a computer. Yeah, and basically, and again, well done, Gene. Uh, Landrew did live six thousand years ago and programmed his whole philosophy into a computer and made it the law. Again, stop me when you've heard this one before. But he never met anybody like Kirk. No. Um. So they basically blow up uh, uh, Landrew, and that's the end of that. And again, they have to leave cultural advisors behind uh, to mop up the damage that they've done. As First of all, I think the show, this particular episode, looks great. I think Roddenberry's, this is really, to me, top Roddenberry. This is Roddenberry at his best. Uh, trying to disguise something that he wants to get across. This uh, is an he, episode that he himself put in his top 10 favorite episodes for the franchise's 25th anniversary. Yeah, and I can see why. I don't. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think all of the performances are pretty good, except for the guy at the beginning who gets killed by the, by the, the staff. Yes. Um, and uh, I... I, I just this this episode just grew on me as time went along, and that's why is it the best start? Is it should it be in the top ten? As Roddenberry put it, no, I'm not saying that, but I do enjoy it. I do think it's good. Now, Doug, tell me why you hate it. <laughs> well, okay, I'm going to make a couple of points here that that are of interest. Is that uh, Harry Towns, the guy who played uh, Rieger or Rieger, whatever the yeah. guy's name is, yeah. the the guy who owns the the, the rooming house. Yes. He was a priest. Was he? Yeah. Wow. He, w- he was born in Alabama, Huntsville, Alabama in 1914, and he was uh, an ordained minister. Uh, he went, you know, he, I guess for some, I don't know how it came that he, I don't know, started acting. I mm-hmm. guess, I don't know. He was like, okay, I don't want to do this anymore. I went to acting or something like that. Or maybe he became a priest afterwards. I don't know. But I thought that that was kind of interesting that, that he was in that role. That is interesting. Um, but, okay. So there's a, there's a bunch of sort of weird things that, uh, that kind of shout at me, shout out at me of this. And it's, it's mainly the, the nerdy plot hole things that happen. Okay. That bug me so much in this is that they get there. And this is always a problem that I've had with, um, this series is that the peril never really seems real to me. Mm-hmm. Like it never, I never really buy into the peril that any of these people are in. Um, 
For instance, Sulu is, we open up cold cut of Sulu running away with that terrible acting um, red shirt who ends up getting, right. I don't know, killed or whatever. Uh, and you believe that they're being chased by something absolutely horrible and they're in a really, really big hurry to get beamed back up to the starship. Hmm. And then we turn around to reveal two sauntering, nay, virtually crawling uh, <laughs> monks carrying <laughs> a, 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 like a, a, a Christmas wrapping tube. Yeah. And it's, it's like a scene. It's like that scene in... Um, <laughs> in uh, the Holy Grail, right. where it's you know the 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 guy that's always running towards them, and he seems to either just stay in the same spot or get further away. Right, and and it's like Sulu just stands there, right. like like waiting for waiting for his, you know to get I guess beamed by the or touched by this stick. Hmm. So okay, whatever. Okay, let's give that up. I'll I'll give uh, let's let's give that to the episode. Now later, when the the trio are in the rooming house and the law keepers or givers or whatever they're called, the monks come at them with these staffs. They show the staff shoots sparks out of it, kills somebody. Mm -hmm. uh, so we know that those staffs work, uh, but instead of actually pointing those staffs at the landing crew and making them basically turn into Sulu. They have to physically take them now and turn them into the mindless automatons. So why couldn't they do what they did to Sulu to the landing party? Well, I mean, Spock does make it clear that there's no mechanism in, in the staffs. So these guys have ones that don't work? Well, that no, that he killed himself because he believed that he was going to be killed. But then, how did Sulu get affected? Well, that's a very good point, right? So, yeah. like, there's there's some like really weird things, and then then of course, like you know, the festival that suddenly happens. It happens to, I, I guess, this is the only reason. The festival seems to be the only reason that this place needs to be um, saved. Right. Really. You know, what if they were just automaton morons that wandered around? Does that really warrant intervention by the Federation? No, that's true. And and so it's like here, that's the only way they can show that their personal freedom. Uh, I mean, these people are happy. They, mm -hmm. are, they are in an idyllic, you know, happy place. Right. Um, and it is this... Western view, basically, of personal freedom mean is not compatible with, you know, the ideal world, uh, you know, without war, you know, of peace. So mm -hmm. you would rather have war and um, violence and personal freedom, freedom than have peace and, and love and no personal freedom. Yes, well, that's the, that's the argument that I think Roddenberry is making, and and I, I just like it's it's just sort of I don't know it's just it's very kind of like I think that this is very much of its time, obviously, mm -hmm. because it's you know uh, talking about Vietnam, it's it's about you know war and peace, it's about religion. Whereas you compare, I don't think they could have made this episode. Or they would have approached this episode very differently in, say, the next generation. Um, 
Well, when when uh, Roddenberry was out of it, I agree with you. If you think like, of some of the first season episodes in Next Generation were basically ham-handed uh, ideas on this as well. Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember do you remember the episode with the, I used to call it the jogger the jogging planet or the planet the planet of the brawlers women when Wesley goes through the arboretum and and they they're going to kill him? Yes. Yeah, yeah. And there's a yeah. god in the sky that stops it. <laughs> yeah. I guess I guess more what I'm thinking is that like the in next generation they're a little bit more like um I guess they understand the prime directive more at that point right. in terms of, of uh, intervening. Now right. I agree. It seems like it's right for them to intervene here. You know, obviously things are weird. Um, it's like, I don't understand what festival is for. <laughs> no, no it, it, I will. I will uh, agree that that is the weakness of the episode to me. And, and I think that for me, that that is what really kind of yanked me out of this episode, uh, you know, that and, okay. and like, and you know, the, the, there's again, once again, the the sense of sense of peril isn't there. It's like they they defeat the um, cloaked lawmen in the rooming house by basically confusing him. Yes, confusing them, and they look at each other, and you know, does not compute, and they're communing with Landrew, and so <laughs> Rieger says to them, "We must hurry." And so, what do they do? They run out the door, and then conti- then. They walk very slowly. <laughs> you know, it's like that scene out of uh, out of uh, Shaun of the Dead where they're in a rush, but they can't hurry, right. and they have to walk very, very slowly, or else the zombies will know that they're not zombies. And all of a sudden, they reveal themselves and they get chased. But they have they have their their weapons, and they start taking people out. But they don't yeah. just stand there and keep knocking people out; they run away. Right. Um. Which wow. they, they kind of they kind of get around when later Landrew figures out a way to turn off their weapons, I guess. I right. Think. Well, also, I mean, you know what, Doug? You're absolutely right. Um, they're they're in no sense of peril during this whole episode because yeah. as soon as they find the two guys who are immune, they they've got a freebie. Yeah. You know yeah. because they're they're protected. Yeah. Um, that doesn't take away from my enjoyment of the episode, but mm. but I think you've got a point there. I mean, they they really are not in any peril at any time. And uh, I just I don't get I I don't understand the logic either of Kirk's logic bomb that he gives to Landrew at the end. No, <laughs> like he says, what is it? He says, um, uh, creativity is necessary for the health of the body or some right like that. and he says that the body is dying and you are not doing any good for the like i don't understand why that would make the computer like the logic isn't there no, <laughs> you I'm, know? I'm, again I'm, they're they're tying up loose ends very very quickly it's like there are a lot of hand waving going on saying this is the power that he has yes I, i'm sticking i'm sticking to calling it a protein but doug has done a very good job of convincing me <laughs> otherwise <laughs> I, I i think that like i mean the other weird thing that i find about this is this is actually ben stiller's favorite episode of star trek really red hour is the name of his production production company oh you're kidding me and like I just wow like I I like the the I think that it's filmed well in terms of like all yes. the stuff that yeah. happens on the yeah. Mayberry set yeah. but I think that's because you know this is a set this is a backlot that was used to shoot Mayberry right and 
But then when they go into all of their Star Trek made sets, mm. the details are terrible. Like it's flat. It's it's bad paint. It's bad props. Mm. The it's it's just real. It's really disappointing. And dude, I really think you got to think about the name of your podcast here, because. Are you sure there's 30 good ones? <laughs> yes, I've listed I've listed them all out. <laughs> if, like now that like we've had some time for a while there I was thinking that maybe this was a protein mm. and I and I could come along and join you on that, but I I disagree. I think that of these 3, I would say for the world is hollow and I've touched the sky is the actual protein in this. Well, that's fair enough. Um uh I think you've made a very strong case, Duck. Um, um, I, 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 I do think Return of the Archons is a, a titch better. Um, I, and I said, I don't think it's top 10. I don't think For the World is Hollow and I Have Touched the Sky is bottom 10. Um, I think they're fairly close together in quality. Uh, I just, I, I, as I said, I think I learned my lesson from the inner light. Mm-hmm. to maybe see it will go a little bit deeper with the episodes and maybe i've gone too deep with this episode i don't know well but- here's the interesting thing though like like i said i couldn't watch the apple the second time right at work but i did have time to watch the other two right. at work today and i watched this one all the mm-hmm. way through and i watched most of uh the third episode right so of the three i did watch this one twice Um, I don't know if it it was that uh, because I knew this was supposed to be the protein that I was looking for the protein. (laughs) Maybe I was asking where's the beef all the time. Um, But this confusion has happened before. Don't worry. (laughs) Once, once I re-listen to this episode and I hear your argument for why this is the protein, maybe I will go back and watch it. And if you have me back, maybe maybe I can answer as to whether or not I have changed my mind on it. Of course, we'd love to have you back, Doug. You're such a great guest. Good, because I got a lot of pizza talk to do. There we go. So we've got two <laughs> carbs and a protein. The protein is under protest, um, <laughs> but uh, but uh, we'll see if we can resolve it. And you can help by uh, joining us at uh, 78 Episodes Pods. Please weigh in with your opinion. Uh, Doug, thank you again so much for joining me. It's been uh, it's been a great pleasure to have you. Always uh, a great time. It. Dude, it was a pleasure to be here. I could I could go on. If you want to talk another hour and a half on these three episodes, I'm willing to do it. <laughs> I love Well, we'll have, love to, we'll have to either get you an open face sandwich next time so we can talk about two episodes, which we can go really do a really deep dive on. Or yeah. we have to get you three, three bad ones with really bad sets again. <laughs> I, I think that what's what's really telling is that up to up till about like a week ago. I was about ready to just send you a message saying, hey, can we delay this? I don't think that I can watch these episodes. And I pushed myself to do it and I watched them and I'm glad I did. Even oh. though they're even though they're awful. Right. I in you know, in terms of the the oeuvre, which is science fiction. Right. Um I'm glad I watched them. So there is that still. Well, thank you very much for, for sticking with us uh, uh, during this. But I should remind everybody that Doug picked this, these episodes. I this episode. I, I brought it on myself without any research. <laughs> it, I blame it on that dang picture of the of what's his face in the app. Right. So, you know, I should have known better, really. Anyway, until next time, thank you again, Doug. 
Uh, if uh, people want to get in touch with you, Doug, please just remind them. Yeah, you can reach me at Slugor, at Slugor, that is S-L-U-G-O-R-E. On the Twitter, if you want pizza recipes and stuff like that, hit me up there. Uh, you can listen to me if you want on the Slug is Doug podcast. If you just search for Slug is Doug, you'll find it somewhere on the interwebs on uh, uh, WordPress or something like that. Uh, sometimes I talk there about everything. Mainly, I think the last episode was about pizza. So if you want to hear more about pizza, there's there's a little bit more there. <laughs> and that's great. And uh, you can uh, join me here, of course. You can also join me on my Law & Order podcast as we review Season 21 with Aaron White. You can find that at the 27th Precinct on Twitter or on every platform that you enjoy for podcasts. Also, you can join me with my friend Jason in Cleveland, Ohio. We talk good music. We talk bad music once every two weeks. You can find that on Twitter at in your ear holes or in your ear holes.com. And it just reminded me that one day Doug and I must have a conversation about Doug and the slugs. Oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, until then people uh, come back for episode 10 in two weeks. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you again, Doug. Toodles. Toodles, nerdos. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>